Please turn in God's word this morning to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. Found in your Bibles, page 27. Page 27 in the Bibles there in front of you. So we've been working our way through the book of Genesis. I was asking the elders the other night uh, about what I could do, or, and I was telling them how challenging it was to preach these messages. And one of, some of the feedback I got was, well, you could take smaller portions, Pastor. And uh, that's, uh, th- that's what I'm doing today. I was going to take the entire chapter, but we're going to look at half the chapter today because there's enough here and more <laughs> that we could say. Uh, and and uh, we're going to going to look at how Jacob is being shaped. Let's remember, let's, let's uh, get our context here as, as some are joining us for the first time. Laban has um, followed after Jacob. Jacob has fled and he has come to run Jacob down, to track him down. And they have this conversation and Laban departs without harming Jacob, though he says, it is in my power to do so, he says in the previous chapter. But God is watching over Jacob. Jacob uh, is unharmed by Laban. But now he faces another danger. He's going to return home. And we remember in our study of Genesis who was waiting at home. It was his brother Esau. The last words he had heard Esau speak were these words, when I get my chance, I'm going to kill him. And so as he returns home, or as he's thinking about returning home, because God has called him to return home, he has this in the back of his mind and in the pit of his stomach, he has this this fear, this anxiety over meeting Esau. And we're going to hear now of what Jacob does as he plans to meet Esau, as he makes preparations. Let's listen to the word of God, starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 32. Laban had departed. Now Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim, meaning two camps. Seemed to be indicating that he thought, Well, I'm here, and God is here. We're, we're together. Verse 3, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, In the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. 
For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. So far, the reading of God's own holy word may add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. The people of God, we saw last week how confidently Jacob spoke with Laban. You remember how Laban had tracked him down and he he said, I I have given all my strength to you. I have worked. I have bore the loss. I have dealt with the heat, with the cold. He speaks very confidently to Laban and says, I've done all that you've asked and more. I've worked these 20 years. Laban was the beneficiary of that. Now, now he prepares to meet Esau, and he appears to be a different man. But is he? That's the question this morning. Is he a different man? Well, as we've noted, Jacob is a work in progress. He is changing, but slowly, as is true for all of us. There's difference in Jacob, but the Lord is certainly not finished with him. And Jacob, we see now, is more humble. Children, why do you think that is? Why do you think Jacob was more humble as he thought about meeting Esau? Well, remember what he did to Esau. He deceived him. He stole from him. When we sin and our sin pricks our conscience, we should be humbled. We should be humble. We shouldn't think, well, I got away with that one. It seems that I'm going to get away with that. No, we should be humbled. Jacob's face-to-face with, the, with his sin and his conscience is bothering him. He could be very confident before Laban, but now before Esau, he has to face up to his sin. He decides that he would try to make things better through gifts. He's going to give a, a big present to Esau. 
Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'll, I'll go to Esau and say to him, I've sinned against you and against God. Please forgive me. He doesn't, doesn't recognize his need to do that. Instead, he thinks, maybe if I give him gifts, perhaps, verse 20 says, perhaps he will accept me. Now, there's any number of reasons why Jacob's thinking this way. Certainly, one of the thoughts might have been, well, Esau's not the forgiving type. <laughs> I I don't think I'm going to go to him and ask for his forgiveness. That's not going to go over too well. Maybe he reasoned that he couldn't appeal to Esau's goodness. But we have to notice something, that he still struggles with his sin. He's still bothered in his conscience because he has not found forgiveness. All of that pursuit of the blessing, all of that getting of the blessing from his father through deception, all that didn't satisfy him. And that's what we want to recognize this morning. Sin is not going to satisfy. not going to satisfy us. We think, oh, I can get away with this, get away with that. But it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't bring peace. He's struggling to confess personal sin, and he's still relying on his own plans, his own ways to make things right. And we often do the same thing, don't we? We think we'll just make it right by our own deeds, our own plans, When it comes to acknowledging personal sin and the need to repent, we often want to find another way to smooth things over other than to confess sin and seek forgiveness. Something else that might have led Jacob to not think about forgiveness is what happened at the opening of our passage this morning. The angels of God met him. It seems that he is making some conclusion by that and saying, well, God is on my side. This is God's camp, he says there in verse 2, as if to say, well, God is for me. He's, he's for me. And that's true. God is for Jacob. He has said back in chapter 28, verse 15, I will go with you wherever you go. I'll watch over you and I will bring you back. He was with Jacob. But the wrongful conclusion by Jacob, it appears here, is, well, God's saying, I don't have to really come clean. I don't really have to face up to my sin because his angels are here with me. Why do I say it that way? Well, because of how Jacob responds, what he, how he acts. He doesn't indicate that he's going to seek Esau's forgiveness. He doesn't say to the Lord, yes, I know, Lord, I should go and seek his forgiveness. Instead, he wants wants to follow his own plan to split up the the goods and send forth drove by drove gifts to Esau without confession of sin. As As has already been said, Jacob's changing, but there's still work to be done. He begins to pray, and we'll see that in a moment, but He prays only after he puts his plans into action. The prayer comes in verse 9 and already in verses 7 and 8. He's he's making plans. He He wants to put into action his plans before he goes to God. And then further, his prayer emphasizes God's responsibilities to him, not his sorrow over his sin or the recognition of the consequences of that sin. Now, brothers and sisters, I want us to understand something. Jacob could have been a real spiritual blessing to Esau here. What do I mean by that? He could have shown Esau what it looked like to admit sin, to confess sin, to ask for forgiveness. He could have shown him what it looked like 
Instead, he spends the night executing a plan that will hopefully, he says, hopefully gain favor with Esau. Now, the present's extraordinary. I won't read the, the numbers again there, but it's, it's many, many animals that he's setting aside there, verses 13 through 20. And uh, he's hoping that he can smooth things over with Esau without having to say, I'm sorry. Now, God has declared that Jacob would be blessed, and indeed he was blessed, as we see here. But that didn't mean that Jacob shouldn't confess his sinful ways with Esau. Jacob's interpretation of the situation is just it is not altogether right. I want us to think about an application of what I've just said for ourselves. Does the world see us, see Christians confessing their sin? Do we repent? Do we show what it looks like to acknowledge personal guilt and then to ask for forgiveness? Where else are they going to see that? Where else are they going to see a true biblical repentance? How can God's people be a witness? Well, they can show knowledge of sin and repent and seek forgiveness. Now, I'm speaking of personal guilt here. There's quite a bit today that says we need to confess sins of people who have lived hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, and to bear an unending guilt for what has happened in the past. We can talk about that at another time, but what I'm speaking of here is that personal guilt from sins we've committed. Can the world learn from honest heartfelt confession that it is okay to acknowledge that we are sinners, that we need to be forgiven, that they would perhaps come to that point and say, yes, I too have a need to be forgiven. Would it be worth the effort for us to do that? Would it be God glorifying? Yes and yes. Yes, it would be worth the effort and yes, it would be God glorifying. Such action is what transformation in Christ looks like. Doing things that don't come naturally, they don't come easily, they don't come from our own strength, but that which God is working in us. Sometimes we take what we consider risky steps, but we must not forget that God is for us. He wants to change us and those around us, and the world world cannot give us life, nor can the world take life from us. We must not deny that we are a work in progress. I say that because in, for, in seeking forgiveness, there's a risk. What, what, what happens if they don't forgive? Or what happens to my reputation, what it might look like? God doesn't want us walking around proud and independent in ourselves and boasting in ourselves. He wants to show what it looks like to be humble and to be walking with him. He wants us to be big enough, as it were, to acknowledge sin and to know that even if the world doesn't respond favorably, they don't hold our life in their hands. God does. The church should be exhibiting humility and candor about sin and dependence on God. The church isn't at her strongest when she claims to be faultless and the inheritor of all things. 
The church is strongest when she confesses sin and need of Savior and wants to bring others to him as well. I've said that before. People say, oh, there you are. You're holier than thou. Going to church, you think you're better than other people. Say, no, we come to church because we need to hear about grace. We need to hear about God saving through faith, or by faith in Christ. We, we need to hear that. We're sinners too. And God says, come and I will speak to you and comfort you and sustain you. God is for us. He's not seeking to knock us down, but to keep us looking up. He's shaping us and molding us to lean on him and to point others to lean on him, to go to him in praise and confession. The church's real life is seen when she exhibits complete trust in God, even when facing hard decisions, difficult situations. Well, secondly, this morning, we want to look at Jacob's prayer. What do we learn from Jacob's prayer? He's made these plans, verses 7 and 8, and then he prays to God. We notice, first off, that this is his first prayer recorded in the Bible. Jacob's been the recipient of great blessings, many blessings. God coming to him at Bethel and and establishing covenant with him, promises to him. We don't hear of Jacob praying there. We don't hear of Jacob responding to God. He takes a vow that if the Lord does bless me, then he will be my God. If, if, if. We're not told that he prayed to God in that situation, but communication with God is so important. Say that to you this morning, Elizabeth, as a parent, right? Communicating with God to you as the people of God, communicating with God. We take vows to raise our children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. And we can have this this sacrament being administered here today and think, well, I've done my part. No. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. God says, this child has received the sign and the seal. You as parents, you as people of God have now the call to pray and to work in raising these children before the Lord. We all must seek his will daily, reading his word daily in prayer, instructing our covenant children in all that God has commanded. As Jesus says, go and baptize the nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, Matthew 28. Jacob has special events in his life, and he took them all in, but up to this point, he apparently was not conversing with God, at least not from what we can tell in God's word. And he must talk to the Lord. He must recognize his need of God. When the call of God comes to us, we're reminded how much we need him, how vast, how, how great the call is, and how inadequate we are. We're going to hear that tonight in, the, in tonight's sermon, praying to God and knowing that we'll be heard because of the intercession of Jesus Christ. Now, some have noted that Jacob's spiritual weakness can be traced back to his lack of conversation or personal relationship with God. That is the reason for the spiritual weakness of so many Christians today. It's a lack of walking and talking with God. 
Many use religious language and partake in religious ceremony, but do not walk and talk daily with God. That's the challenge here today as we have just observed this sacrament and the challenge placed before us as we see how Jacob's life is beginning to move in the right direction, but still needs to grow and to mature. Laban is behind Jacob. Esau is before Jacob. He is like a man between a rock and a hard place, as one has noted. And it takes this crisis to get him to pray. Brothers and sisters, we ought not to need a crisis to pray to God. It ought to be the the life breath of the Christian, as the hymn says it, right? The Christian's native air, that which is is, is native to him, natural to him, to, to pray to God. Here's Jacob, Laban behind, ready to defend his ground if Jacob should return, and Esau in front of him, the last words that he has spoken, that Jacob heard, were these, I will kill him when I get the chance. Well, he's driven to prayer, we might say, in this crisis. What does he pray? Well, his prayer contained good elements. He acknowledged God as the one true God and cited the command that God had given him in his intent to obey. That's a good thing. He acknowledged the one true God. That's what we're called to do. And he acknowledged the command, go, return, and his intent, his intention to obey. Second, he confessed his own unworthiness. He says, I'm I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. Verse 10. That's how we come to the Lord. We don't come to him demanding. We come to him seeking his grace and his mercy. Lord, I, I need your mercy, your kindness. We lean into his mercy. Third, Jacob acknowledged God's faithfulness and its attendant blessings. You have poured out upon me vast abundance in steadfast love and faithfulness. Tied up with that, he says, you are the source of my blessing. He's been blessed richly. We saw that at the end of chapter 30, and now we see it here, how much he's giving away that he has been blessed richly. And he says, that's from you, Lord. I re- from, from you, God. I recognize that. He's not using the covenant name. I, I'm using that. I, noticed, I noted that to some others last week. I'm using the name Lord because that is God working covenant. But Jacob has not yet used that name. I don't know if you've noticed that. He's still saying God. He's not using that word Lord. He does hear, but still not as his own Lord. So we'll see in a moment. So he's acknowledging God as a source of blessing. Fourth, he prayed to God for help. He's the one who must deliver. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. Verse 11. He's looking in the right place for deliverance. Though he's still not leaning completely there, is he? He's making plans. Though he knows that God alone can deliver. And then fifth, he presented his basis for his request. God's earlier promise. Verse 12. You said... I remember what you said. I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob is saying, if you are going to fulfill the promise, Lord, you must deliver me from the, what he anticipates to be the vengeance of Esau. But there are some things missing in his prayer. And I, just, I, I mentioned this just a moment ago. The personal element. 
He doesn't speak of God as his God or his Lord. Jacob speaks about God as the God of his grandfather Abraham and the God of his father Isaac. What's missing is his confession that God is his God, his Lord, his covenant Lord. There's also trust missing. He prays to God and he knows he needs God to deliver, but he's leaning on his own plans. His hope is still in his own way. That's what verses 13 through 20 tell us. And what is it, where does it leave him? I want you to notice this. Where does it leave him? Doubtful. He's got all this vast resource. He's got everything that, that you would think one would need to smooth over a situation. And he still has doubt. Will it be enough? Perhaps Esau will be reconciled to me, verse 20. But I'm not sure. I want us to think about that as it relates to the gospel. When we come to God and we're coming to him saying, Lord, look at all this. Look, at, this is all for you. And, and yet there's, there's this notion of, well, but is that enough? Have I said, I'm sorry, enough times? Have I, have I done enough? That's why the New Testament shows us the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, that in him, His sacrifice is sufficient once for all for the complete forgiveness of our sins. We don't have to doubt and say, I wonder if that is enough. It is enough. It is perfect and complete. Christ must be the focus of our faith. So there's a missing personal element. There's a missing trust. And then thirdly, there is one other fault in the prayer. Jacob had not asked God what he would have him do. What is your will, O Lord? He says, you deliver me. You said you're going to be good to me. He doesn't say, Lord, what would you have me to do? He gets his big flock together and he says, I'm going to go meet Esau. And we're, we're, we're hoping the best. We got our fingers crossed, right, kids? We see that quite often. Fingers crossed this is going to work out. That's nothing, is it? We need to trust the Lord. He prays for help, but not for God's will in this situation. He's made his own plans before he's even slowed down enough to pray. That's already back in verses 7 and 8. While praying, his mind was continuing to work on plans that might divert his brother's anger. That's verses 13 to 20. That's how I often act. I pray, but I still have my own plans. I pray and I, I say, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting you for this, but here's my, here's my effort. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's, here's how I think it's going to really turn out. I'm, I'm saying one thing, but I'm doing something different. I don't know if you've ever had that in your life. I believe so. I think we're all that way. We, we, we want to be in control. We want, to, we want to take the situation in our hands. And what results? Fear, worry, weariness, restlessness. What was God's intention for Jacob? Oh, we'll start to answer that this week and look more at it next week. But it comes down to this. God wanted Jacob to surrender himself. Jacob decided he would give, have to give up some of his possessions. He sized up the situation and said, this is serious. I'm gonna, this is going to cost me something. It's going to be a lot. But I, I think I got this. I think I got this. I got enough resources. I, I think I can do this. He's sizing up the situation. 
But what he couldn't do is bring himself to recognize that he was to give himself to God. As the old hymn says it, I surrender all. Now we sing it, but do we think about what we're singing? All to Jesus, I surrender all to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence, daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Are we willing to give up everything, even ourselves? To die to self? And our plans and our ways? Commentator James Boyce responds to this passage with the words of that hymn. What we really mean is, I surrender all the goats. And if that's not enough, I surrender all the sheep. Or I surrender all the cows. Or I surrender all the milking camels. I surrender all, and so on. We give up our possessions. But what we don't do is give up ourselves. We still want to be in control. We're going to see this through. We're going to deliver ourselves. Jacob needed to submit himself to God and stop trusting in his own ways and plans. Makes us us think of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came to earth. What did he do? What example did he set for us? He surrendered all. Laid down his life. Took on the form of human nature. Emptied himself of glory or set his glory aside is a better way of translating that. Set aside his glory. The glory that he had with the Father from eternity. And came and was willing to die to do the will of his Father. He sets that before us. That is the foundation of our salvation. That is our example too. Living for him completely, fully. Surrendering all. Well, Jacob has made a plan to give up a huge portion of his holdings. And now he's alone. Verse 24, he's left alone. And God is going to come to him. And the encounter is going to be unforgettable. Is Jacob ready to surrender all to God? Are you? Let's ask God to help us understand that question and give that right answer in our words and in our living. Let's pray to him now. Father in heaven, as we think upon that call to surrender, the call to give ourselves, not just financial offerings, though that is a testament to our trust, but not just that, to give not just our time, but to converse with you, to walk with you every day, recognizing that you are all wise and that your way is the only way. Your timing is perfect. Lord, help us to learn what that means and then to desire to live at peace with what is before us. Yes, working out your will as you guide us by your spirit, but not trying to hold on to the situation, but to see rather what you're doing in us and through us. May it be our great desire to bring honor and glory to you in all that we do, all that we say, and even all that we think. Hear us, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.
Number 450, Lord Jesus' great love for us is seen in this hymn. That's what I want to emphasize. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly while the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past, safe into the haven guide. O receive my soul at last. He is one who loves us and who has given himself for us. We want to sing his praises and reflect upon his protection as we stand to sing the four stanzas of number 450.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your great love for us in your Son, Jesus Christ, that in him we have all that we need. We thank you for that message, and we pray for those institutions which train men to preach that word. Think of Westminster Theological Seminary, California, and for the work that they do, we ask your blessing upon that institution that many would go forth from there in service of the gospel, that many would hear and believe. Lord, hear us as we offer these prayers with our offerings in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for God's parting blessing. As you go forth, the Lord goes with you. He leads and guides you, calls you to follow, and he wants to hear you call upon him. Hear this parting word of blessing. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen your hearts so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen.